How many of you have been married for 20 years or more? Raise your hand. 20 years or more. All right. 30 years or more. All right. Still got lots of hands. 40 years or more. Wow, look at all these hands. 50 years or more. And that includes if you are, uh, even if your spouse has passed away, but you were married for 50 years. Raise your hand. Anybody beat 55? 60? Oh, we got 160 back here. Another, how, how long has the McAfee's been married? 67 years. Well, y'all are just babies. The Brookers, how long y'all been married, David? 62. See, y'all got them beat. 67 years. By the way, it's good to see the McAfee's uh, back with us. Uh, as well. Listen, we ought to celebrate. In fact, let's just give a hand for those who have been married 50 years and plus. Isn't that great? Man, that's fantastic. And I think every single one of these that have been married so long, they will be the first to tell you that marriage takes work. It just does. But they'll also tell you if you've got two people who are working at it, it is totally worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Now, Peyton, he's been leading us in this series of Marriage Matters, and he's showing us, you know, he's been talking about what it takes to have a good marriage. And, and in that, as soon as I get my little clicker, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Um, but, you know, one of the things that he talked about is priorities matter. That God has to be number one in your marriage and your spouse has to be number two. Now that sounds like a contradiction of some sort. But listen, if you want your marriage to be blessed, if you want to have the kind of marriage that God wants you to have, then that's what you have to do. He also said pursuit matters. We just heard that last week. In other words, we're willing to do whatever it takes in order to build that marriage relationship. And so today, I get to deal with a really fun one in that purity matters. You know, we live in a world that we are bombarded by sexuality in our world. I mean, it just, it's in every movie, it's in every show, it's in uh, online, it's in social media, it's, it's just everywhere you go. And you, you know, you can try to get away from it and do the best you can, but you're not ever going to be able to get completely away from it. It's just always going to be in our faces. Some of you remember the uh, sexual revolution of the 1960s, right? And, and that was just a really interesting time. Uh, I was not born then, just so you know that. But uh, it was a social movement, and it challenged the traditional marriage. And it really tried to push uh, the normalization of things like contraception and public nudity, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, alternative forms of sexuality, and the legalization of abortion. All of that was wrapped up in, in that whole sexual revolution of the 1960s. And we look over the last few years, and we can see how things have continued to digress in America. And, and it's pushed on our kids, it's pushed on our grandkids, and, you know, you can talk about the traditional values and you can talk about the biblical values, which is what we do in here. And they're going to be pushback. There's going to be major pushback. And you're going to be criticized. You're going to be looked down upon and, and everything else. Because our world tells us, listen, the way to a good marriage is not God. The way to a good marriage is that you cohabitate, that you live together for a while. And that way you can have all the benefits of marriage including the bed, 
And, and the, but if it doesn't work out, there's no problem. You can just leave and, and no, no issues. But what statistics show is that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It tells you that, listen, you ought to have an open marriage. That, listen, it's just sex. You know, that, that's, not, that's just not a big deal. It's, it's not really a big deal. But the world's going to continue to tell us these kinds of things. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. Missy and I, we go to Italy and Greece. We walk some of the ruins of these places, places that have been there hundreds of years before Christ ever walked the earth. And you might be surprised to know, and doing these tours and things of that sort, that America ain't got nothing on these, some of these ancient cultures. I'm telling you, their art, some of their literature, a lot of the things that they have, it was highly sexually charged. Prostitution was legal. It was, it was something that was public. It was widespread. It was considered normal for men to have uh, sexual attraction to teenagers of both sexes. In many of the Roman religious rituals, they featured nude dancing and, prostit and prostitution. In Pompeii, there were these objects are found in the form of of men and women parts that were used in their religious rituals, and I don't want to go deep into all of this, and believe me when I say I'm not going deep into all of that, but it really to say what Solomon told us long ago, which is there's nothing new under the sun. And it also gives us a little bit of understanding of when Paul talks about these things in the Roman and Greek cultures. And you're realizing in the very things that we're going to talk about here today, some of the passages that we're going to see, these things were a real problem, and they've always been a problem in our world. God created human beings, and he expected for the marriage union to be pure. The verse that we have used, Peyton has used it, I'm using it, comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and his mother. Listen, you ought to read that to your kid every night. It sounds like you're, go you're leaving. You're going to be leaving soon, right? And, and you're going to leave father and mother, and you're going to hold fast to your wife, and they will become one a brand new family unit. But then notice what it says right after. And the man and the woman, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Because God has an intent for sexuality. And it's in that marriage relationship. When Adam and Eve sinned, sexuality was corrupted. All of a sudden, we started learning some new words like adultery and fornication and homosexuality and, and many other different things. And Jesus quoted from these things, from what was said in Genesis chapter 2 as well. And we know about that great manual that he gave for disciples. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Read the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, you know, he talks about adultery, but he took it even further. He says, listen, don't even lust after someone else. And he uses some very strong, exaggerated language that we're going to come back to in a little bit because adultery was considered the one of the most serious offenses because it broke a relationship that is supposed to symbolize God and his people. That's why he had to continue to deal with them. And that's the kind of language that he used, like in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 14. You know the story of Joseph. What did Joseph do in that situation? He got out of that, you know, that tempting uh, situation with Potiphar's wife and he runs. 
Why? He says, because how can I do this great wickedness against God? We know that King David, here's a man after God's own heart. And he failed in this way with, with Bathsheba. And when he has his confession in the book of Psalm chapter 51, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. And I don't think he's saying that I didn't sin against these other people, against, you know, uh, Bathsheba's husband and, 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 and Bathsheba herself. and every, I, But he's showing the seriousness, that this is a serious situation. And then we have things like Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. It just puts it out there. Listen, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. You hear that? It needs to be undefiled. The marriage bed is to be pure. That's the way God had intended it to be. But our world is going to tell us something that's different. And they're going to say things like, listen, it's just sex. I want to take you just a little bit deeper, and then we're going to get into some practical things. But I want us to understand the seriousness of what we're talking about. Because, because it's being torn apart every day. Uh, in our culture. You remember first uh, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And you, you remember the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and comes upon the, that room of 120, just fills it. And, and they flow out into Jerusalem. And it says that they have these cloven tongues over their heads. And it's like, you know, we read that part of the story, and it's like, what's, what is, what's that all about? Folks, that's temple language. You read Exodus 40, you read 1 Kings chapter 8, you read Leviticus chapter 10, all of which is showing fire and clouds. And so it was about when God's presence came into the temple. And here, this is exactly what is happening with the Spirit. That's what, exactly what Paul would later say in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, listen, you are the temple of God. You are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. You say, well, what does that have to do with this topic? It has everything to do with this topic. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, whoa, 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 what a second. What, what does this even mean? You know, flee from sexual, uh, you know, sexual immorality, and then it's talking about, you know, this uh, against the body? He goes on. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's within you. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul is using this temple imagery to get this across. And he says, listen, that's why you don't sleep around. It's not about so you don't get STDs. It's not about so you don't get pregnant. It's not about... Um, you know, disgracing your family. And all of those things can have a part. And he says, no, 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 listen. The big thing is this. He says, you are God's temple. Act appropriately. Don't do things that are inappropriate. You are God's temple that's out in the world to see. Satan's going to use whatever he can to try to destroy marriage. 
The first time we see Adam and Eve got problems in the garden, you know when it was? Satan enters. And he, you know, they, they ate the forbidden fruit, both of them, not just one. They, and what did Adam say when the Lord showed up in, in, in Genesis 3, verse 12? He says, listen, it's this woman that you gave me. All of a sudden, they got problems because Satan's going to do everything he can. And it's, it's, hey, it's easy for us to say, well, listen, the devil made me do it. I, you know, I've been, I've been uh, in ministry, and it, this coming March, it'll be 30 years, and I've done lots of marriage, uh, you know, counseling, and I've heard a lot of excuses over the years. You know, I've heard, well, you know what, my husband, he's just not romantic. My wife, she just doesn't satisfy me physically. Uh, or sometimes the excuse is, listen, everybody else is doing it. But what does James 1, 13 through 15 say? He says, listen, you are tempted by your own desires. Now, all these outside things, they got to be judged too, right? But he says, you are responsible. We are responsible for these temptations. And so when we talk about these things, it's very important we understand. People love to talk you know, when other people, uh, you know, you find out somebody else had an affair. Boy, isn't that, that is like the, everybody wants to talk about it at the water cooler. Everybody wants to talk about it, you know, oh, did you hear about that? And it's almost as if they think, well, that would never happen to me. And let me tell you, in almost 30 years of, of doing counseling and, and people who've had affairs, almost every single one have said the same thing, I never planned for this to happen because no one does no one goes into marriage and thinks you know what one day I am going to betray my wife or my husband nobody nobody goes into it like that nobody goes into it thinking you know what I might have I'm going to have an emotional um, relationship with someone at my work or God forbid online or even at church. Yeah, did you know that kind of stuff happens sometimes in churches? I, I know this lady, and listen, this is, this, is, this is not here. It's not even in the same state, okay? So, so don't, don't, just, just don't. But, um, but she, at her work, she found someone else who was a Christian, and they decided at lunch, why don't we just sit and have Bible studies together? Why don't we just sit and study the Bible? And they developed an emotional relationship ended up having an affair. They had the best of intentions. Which brings us to what we're, I'm here to talk to you about in the practical application. And that is we have got to protect the purity of our marriages. We've got to be proactive. We can't wait until things get bad. We need to go ahead and, and decide we're going to do certain things. Here's one of them. Put up guardrails. Now, you know what a guardrail is. A guardrail is those things that you see and it keeps you from going in places that are off limits, keeps you from danger. Well, we need those, those kind of guardrails. You remember what Paul said at the, at the very beginning? When he, when, or um, No, uh, going back to what Jesus said earlier in, in Matthew chapter uh, 5. Whoops, if I can ever get it up there. In Matthew chapter 5, what he's saying is put up guardrails. Don't lust. He says, listen, if, you, if your hand's a problem, then cut it off. If, you, if your eye's the problem, then, then gouge it out. Now, it's exaggerated language. But what he's saying is, do everything you can to keep this marriage relationship pure. 
Don't even get close to it. Don't expose yourself to anything that is sexually improper. Don't, don't get involved in flirtatious conversations at work or in texting or in anything that can develop some kind of emotional adultery. And speaking of social media, listen, don't be friends with people that you were, uh, that you dated seriously, okay? I've seen, I don't care how long it's been. I've, I even know someone, and I've heard of the stories. They get on Facebook, and they connect with somebody they hadn't seen since high school, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and all of a sudden, they develop this relationship once again. Listen, don't do it. It's not worth it. You may say, well, you know what? I don't really have that problem. No one thinks they do until they have the problem. In 2017, Mike Pence was absolutely slammed on, in the media and by others because he has a rule in his marriage. Y'all remember this? The, the rule was he does not eat with another woman alone other than his wife. He just won't do it. Even if it's in a public dining, that's just his rule. He had the rule that he doesn't go to any function that, that, that has alcohol, that his wife is not with him. And man, I'm telling you what, people just absolutely, they were all over him. And it's like, seriously, has everybody forgotten what profession he's in? How many sex scandals have you heard about? How many times have you heard about these multiple affairs of politicians? And so here's a guy, he's just trying to maintain his integrity, you know, and, and, and doing whatever he can. And, and, you know, some of you may, you may think this ridiculous, and you say, well, you know, that never happened to me. That's, that's what I hear every single time when I talk to someone who's gone through an affair. I never thought it was going to happen to me. People have rules. It doesn't mean this is the exact rule you have to have. It just means you need to put up some guardrails. I know some people, they will not ride in a car with somebody of the opposite sex. They won't be in a house with, with just them and, and opposite sex alone. They won't do other things. I have a rule that ever since I've been in ministry, I have to have a window in my door. My wife didn't ask me to do this. This is something I do. Well, why would you do that? Because preachers are human. They're human too, and they need to be able to see on the other side, have privacy where you can counsel those who are of the opposite sex, but they always know that there's somebody that's on the other side. I know a preacher, a great guy, great guy. His elders warned him over and over again. He said, stop counseling women by yourself when no one else is present, and he did not believe that anything would ever happen until... It happened. Now, now, some of you, you just think this is ridiculous. But let me tell you something. We will, we will spend ridiculous amounts of money and whatever in order to, to do things to protect our homes from being broken into. You know, the home security business, it is a multi-billion dollar industry every single year. Why are we more concerned about someone breaking into our house rather than breaking into this covenant we have made with our spouse? You say, well, I'm not sure it'll ever happen. Well, you may not ever have anybody try to break into your house either, but we'll, make those, we'll try to make those preventative measures. 
Why wouldn't we be willing to keep from everything we hold dear from being destroyed? Paul says this, man, he's really rough. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He says this kind of thing should be so far removed from believers that we shouldn't even talk about it. That's, that's the kind of thing he, he's, he's dealing with here. Here's another thing to guard your marriage, and that is run from sexual temptation. Listen, there's going to be temptations that are out there. Temptation is not a sin. It's how we deal with those temptations. As we said, we're being bombarded by it every single day. But what are we going to do? How do we deal with it? We already talked about what Paul had said. He says, run, flee, get away from sexual immorality. Now, Jesus, we said, he uses that ex exaggerated language. And he says, listen, if, if your dominant hand is causing a problem in this relationship, he says, then just be willing to cut it off. If your dominant eye is the problem, he says, just go ahead and gouge it out. Now, again, exaggerated language. But you know what? We may need to gouge out or we may need to cut off those, those movie channels that we like to watch late at night. It may be you need to get some kind of guard on your computer for pornography. It may be that you need to change jobs. Yeah, you heard me. You may need to change jobs because you have developed an emotional relationship with someone. Urban Meyer. Most of you already know where I'm going. A few weeks ago, a video came out with him. And he's, he's in a bar. And there's this girl. She's, it's not a very good video. Embarrassed himself, embarrassed his wife, his children, his family, his organization. It was terrible. I don't believe he went in there for that purpose. In fact, he was in that restaurant because he was with his grandkids. I don't think anybody going with their grandkids is thinking, you know what, I'm going to get caught up in a sexual sex scandal tonight. I think that's a great idea. But, you know, he was in his own restaurant, and, and there were some people came over from the bar and said, we would like for you to come over and have some pic take some pictures with us. Very nice, he did. He went over, he, had, he took pictures with them. But then they wanted him on the dance floor and to dance with him and dance in certain... In, and All he had to do was walk away. That was it. All he had to do was flee, run. He didn't have to do that. And I guarantee he would tell you that he made it. Well, he did. He apologized. I, I hope he's sincere. I hope he learned from I hope we learn from, from what he's experienced. And some of you, you may be in a situation right now that you need to run away from before you find yourself in a bad situation because you know there's too much going on. You know you're allowing yourself to, to watch certain things. You know you're, you're in a flirtatious relationship. You need to run. Solomon said, don't even go to the door of her house, speaking uh, to his son about adultery. Let's go to one more thing here. And that is satisfy your spouse. Satisfy your spouse. Don't give your spouse a reason to look other places. Don't deprive each other of sexual relationships. Paul says some things here, and I know had to be a man to write this stuff. But 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, he says, Listen, husbands, you belong to your body belongs to her. Wives, your body belongs to him. 
Don't deprive each other unless it is for a time of prayer. But then get back because don't let Satan destroy this beautiful thing that you have. And the reason Paul is writing this is because there was a problem with unsatisfied husbands in that culture and they would go to the prostitutes. In Roman culture, it was permitted for husbands to do that very thing. Now, it wasn't okay for the women, totally different society. But what Paul says is, it's not okay for either one of you. You, This is a covenant relationship that you have made with God, and you ought to satisfy each other, pledge to each other. And I know some of you, uh, probably some of you ladies are like, well, you know, I, I need to be satisfied as well in other areas, but we're talking about purity. We can talk about, the, Peyton may have talked about the other stuff last week. But look, give yourself to your spouse, because guess what? Somebody else out there may be willing to do it for you. Do those things to keep the marriage relationship pure. Now, I know anytime I do a lesson like this, I know that the percentages are very good, that there's somebody that's already struggling with some things. They know maybe something's not happened, but maybe they're hoping it will happen. Or they're watching things every week, every night, every day, that they know they shouldn't be. And I know that the percentages are very good. And any church you go into and you have that discussion, and there are going to be those who have gone through an affair. And, and they have asked God to forgive them. They've asked their spouse to forgive them. And, and anytime this topic comes up, they feel guilt. But if you ask any one of them, they will tell you, this. yes, this kind of thing needs to be talked about. But here's the good news. And that is that Jesus Christ is able to make us pure where we have been impure. By his death and by his resurrection, he is able to salvage our lives and to, and to do something with it that we couldn't do otherwise. And, and in some situations, I've seen this, and I encourage this to try to get counseling, and, and I hate to see a marriage relationship break and Jesus, when he talked about this very thing, about adultery, except it be for, you know, fornication, whatever. And, you know, he didn't say you have to do that. You have to break it off. And I've seen many relationships where that has been able to, it takes work, but they have been able to maintain a relationship. And they actually have a better marriage even afterwards because they went back to what Peyton talked about in the very beginning, getting your priorities right that God is number one and your spouse is number two. And they, they do this. And then there, there are those I know. You, you've, you've done this. You've committed this sin. And no matter how much you repent, no matter how much you try, it's just it's not going to happen. And, and that's, that's going to happen. But listen, Jesus loves you too. He loves you too. He loves the person who's been hurt and there's, there's just can't get over it. And he, he loves the person that is penitent. And says, I want to change my life. I want my life to be pure, even if I've destroyed something that was very beautiful and wonderful in my life. Read the stories of Jesus in the gospel. Read about him before the, the woman at the well in Luke, in Matthew chapter, I mean, uh, um, um, in, uh, what is it, Matthew, no, John 4. Read about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. Read in Luke chapter 7 where this prostitute, she comes into this dinner party a Pharisee is having, and Jesus is there at the meal. 
And she's not there to, to, to proposition Jesus. She's there to pour out her soul. And she, she weeps and she takes her hair and she wipes Jesus' feet with, with her hair where those tears had been. She kisses his feet. She takes this expensive perfumed oil and she, she anoints his feet. And this Pharisee, religious leader, a man who seems to have it all together, he criticizes Jesus. I can't believe you'd let that woman even touch you. And what's something interesting as we see about God and we see about those who find themselves in these bad, awful situations is that he begins to compare this guy who seems he's got it all together and this religious leader and this woman who is a prostitute who is now pouring herself out before, before Jesus. And he says, you know what? You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with hospitality. And he says, you know what? You see no need for me. She does. She's forgiven. She's the one who walks away forgiven. Her faith has saved her. Listen, Jesus can change your life if you found yourself in that situation. But if you're not in that situation, then please don't find yourself in that situation. It's not where you want to be. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for all your love and mercy and your grace. Father, I pray if there are those in this room that they're, they're struggling right now with this topic, Father, please help them. I pray for our young people who are constantly bombarded by these things in the world and wants them to change in how they think and how they believe and what you have given to us. Father, you are our creator. You are the one whose spirit who lives in us. Father, may we always honor you. But Father, if there are those who are not, please help them. Help us to help them. But Father, we just, we just pray for your goodness and your forgiveness in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.